an exact number. You know, they're they're scattered throughout the country. There's probably you know a couple dozen of them running out there. So I mean, yeah. Rolag, Minnesota, they have a bunch of them up there. Um, I know there's a 50B in California that's running. I don't think there's any in New England that are operating, but you know they're they're out there. Yeah, but Steam is a you know that's that's a specialized deal in itself. It's a whole another animal. You really gotta you know it Steam. It's it can be dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. Sure, you know you got to make sure that you, that you keep water in the boiler because if you don't, it blows up. <laughs> really? Yeah. How does are you are you all good, Harrison? Yeah. Um. How does how does this how does steam work when it, when you're powering a shovel, for example? So, you've got the boiler behind you, yeah, and you you know you make the steam with the boiler, obviously, and then you have lines running out from the boiler. So you have a line, a you know, a steam pipe running to each of the individual engines for the different functions on the shovel. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things, I don't pretend to know a whole lot about steam just enough to be dangerous but one of the yeah. nice things with a steam shovel is that you can run the engines in reverse oh. so like for example on that typo through that i've run um you have power down on the hoist so you just you push a lever forward and that opens up a valve i think that's how that works and that allows the steam to flow the other way so you can run the engine in reverse and lower the bucket down nice and smooth to come in and take another bite Really? So you don't, there is a brake on it, a friction brake, but you don't have to use that. Wow. Cause you can just run the engine in reverse. Yeah. Is the steam, is the boiler, uh, powered by coal? Yeah. Coal or wood. Coal um, or wood. I know, I know some guys like to use wood cause wood burns a little bit cleaner because uh, with steam, there's a lot of maintenance that comes with it. So, you know, after you're done using it, you gotta, you know, you gotta sweep out the boiler and whatnot. You gotta brush all the tubes and everything. Get all oh, wow. the soot out of there because with coal, especially the coal is very corrosive. Yeah. I'm sure you knew that, but yeah. um, so if you just let all that coal residue sit in the boiler, it rots the boiler out. So you know, there's a lot of maintenance that goes along with it. So these equipment shows who who facilitates equipment shows. So usually they're run by different clubs and organizations like brownsville that's that's all put on by the national pike steam gas and horse association (laughs) which is run by basically run by bob and shirley kelly yeah they've been putting that show on for the last oh 40 years (laughs) give or take (laughs) and it's it's a great place because you know they have all the shovels and stuff i mean there's probably 50 or 60 machines there Something like that. So do people bring their machines to these shows? Yeah. Yep. So they already have their machines there. Right. They have some machines. Yeah. And then other people show up with their machines. Exactly. So in the case of Brownsville, most of that stuff just lives there. Okay. You know, it's just, it's easier. Um, yeah, because transporting a big crane or drag line, that's not, you don't just throw it on a little bed. No. And head on down the road. Yeah. It sucks. It's, <laughs> it's well, difficult. Yeah, yeah. And we'll get into that. Yeah. Um, but people will bring their tractors. Oh, yeah. Yep. Really? Yeah. So it's just a bunch of people basically getting together for a weekend. Yeah, to play with their toys. To play with their antique earth-moving equipment mm-hmm. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's such a – there are so many fascinating subcultures in the United States. Oh, yeah. 
And I am so fascinated by the antique heavy equipment yeah. subculture because yeah. it is it is a real deal. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a small group of people, you yeah. know, a small group of crazy people like me, but it's it's a wonderful place to be. I I enjoy it. Yeah, well, I, yeah. Who are these people? Are do all all they work? Do they all work in the earth moving industry, or, or so, is it like Bill the accountant who also loves earth moving tractors? It's mostly people that work in the industry, but you know, yeah. there's a few guys out there. Like, there's this one guy that comes to Brownsville, great guy. He's a uh, he's a former doctor. Really, I think I think nuclear medicine was his thing. So he's like wicked smart and. <laughs> You know, he'll come and he'll work on his machines and he'll do everything. So it's, you know, absolutely perfect. He'll, you know, work on his machines like he's, you know, operating on somebody or whatever. And wow. Then you get other guys that, you know, they've been operators all their lives or, you know, they grew up around this stuff. Like, I'm fortunate. I grew up around the old iron. Yeah. So, you know, my dad, he, uh, he's been an operator since, I don't know, mid, early 70s. Something like that. He started, you know, right out of high school. Is that uh, right? right in high school, actually. That's how he got started. So my dad, he went to this uh what is now a pretty fancy smancy uh private school in Massachusetts. Sure. Which one? Uh, Middlesex. Oh yeah. That's, in that's, Concord Mass. Yeah, you familiar with that yeah, place? Yeah, big time. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad went to Middlesex, you know, back when the let's just say more common person could afford to go there. Sure. And uh, they were building a new theater arts building there. And this guy, Jumbo, or Jack Jumbo Flynn is what they called him. He was there doing the site work. And he had this little Ford backhoe. And my dad basically just walked onto the job site one day as a student and said, hey, what can I do to help? And Jumbo said, go get on that backhoe and run it back and forth and compact that area over there. Is that right? Yeah. Had he ever run equipment before? Nope. No way. <laughs> Never. Whoa. So my family, like my grandmother, she she was the dean at Wellesley College at one point. Holy smokes. Yeah. So, so sidebar regarding Wellesley. Yeah. So I ran the Boston Marathon in April. Oh, okay. And you get to a point, it's like mile 15, 16. You're, you're a little worn out. You're starting mm -hmm. to get into the city a little bit. Yep. Or maybe a little bit before that. I don't know. But it's enough where you've been running for a little bit. Yeah. And- you just hear this overwhelming screaming. Yeah. And you're like, what is going on up there? Uh -huh. And you go up over the hill and there's Wellesley right there on the right. Oh, yeah. And it's all the college women all lined up all the way down the college, <laughs> just screaming and and with their post and and oh, we want kisses or whatever it is. It it was exhilarating. I was like, this is awesome, man. Running by a woman's college in the Boston Marathon oh, yeah. could not be a better experience. Nice little pick-me-up for and, you. And that gave me all the energy I needed to uh, to finish out the race. Oh, so nice. Just, nice. That's my only experience with Wellesley. Anyway. Yeah. I, that's, more, that's more experience than I got. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so no background, no family background. Your dad gets in a backhoe. Yeah. And the rest is history. Yeah, the rest is history. I mean, how it really kind of started is my my grandmother, she's she always had an appreciation for this stuff. And her mother, my great-grandmother, back in the 20s here, my grandmother, she was born in 1920, and she lived to be 100. And, wow. yeah, and she was just, she was wonderful, just the absolute most wonderful person you could ever meet. 
And she used to tell me this story about back in, this is probably the late twenties. Her mother took her to see this construction site where they were building this bridge in Cambridge, Mass, I believe. Hmm. And, you know, back in those days, everything was riveted. Mm -hmm. So she could remember seeing the fellow on the ground with the rivet forge, heating up the rivets, and then tossing them up to the guys on the bridge so they could put them in the hole and hammer hammer the thing together. Wow. Yeah. I feel like most people have a memory of watching a construction site at some point. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I hear that from a lot of people. Oh, yeah, my... We used to watch this construction project growing up. It's There's nothing better than watching construction. Yeah. What's not to like? I feel like every construction project should set up a fan section. Seriously, though. If it's a, if it's a good project. Yeah. I feel like that'd be like the, the project we went to in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. There were at least, they were demoing a bridge over the weekend. So oh, they yeah. shut the whole place down. Yep. And there were probably 200 people there oh, watching. Wow. Just watching. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Old people, kids. Mm-hmm. Middle-aged people, like couples, yeah. all just watching the excavator knock a bridge down. Nice. There nice. you go. Um, What's not to like? So where does your dad go throughout his career? So my dad, um, after he got done working for Jumbo, he went to work as an oiler on a drag line for this old-timer named Joe Dedeo was his name. And he had an LS-98 link belt drag line, which is like a yard and a quarter machine yard and a half machine yeah and he oiled on that for two years so that's just doing you know all all the greasing and oiling and wrenching on it and everything yeah explain drag lines and oilers because being an oiler on a drag line that's a pretty essential task yeah so with drag lines you know with the with the old friction rigs there's a lot of moving parts on them so you have a bunch of you know daily grease fittings that have to be done so you know things like the hook rollers for the house you know the swing pinion the you know the travel gears the idlers and the rollers and whatnot on the undercarriage because you know as you're digging that machine's rocking back and forth Mm -hmm. so it's very important to make sure that you know all those rollers and idlers and everything are greased so the so that it can roll with the machine yeah and, you know, you got travel locks on the machine, so you won't pull yourself in, but you're going to be moving back and forth a little bit. So, and then, you know, for the oiling, every, like the machine that I run every day, that 9570 Northwest, it's fairly late. It's a 1975 machine. Mm-hmm. So that has an actual drip oiler on it mm-hmm. that, you know, oils the swing shaft and things like that. So, um, you know, that you fill up as needed. You can, you can time, there's like five or six oil lines that come off of it and you can time how much oil drips out of those. So, um, and then, you know, on the early machines, like shovels and everything with the chain crowd that would have to be oiled, you know, every four hours or whatever. So you can keep those chains lubricated. Yeah. So there's a lot to it. It's, um, yeah, I mean, you're basically, it's, you're full-time job is maintaining the piece of equipment yeah it uh, when i was on the railroad it's it's this weird union deal where if you have a crane yeah in california i'm sure the east coast is like this too you have to have an oiler with yep. the crane you can't yep. just have a crane operator but it was a modern it was a brand new crane oh yeah brand new yeah and the oiler got the crane operator water bottles 
Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, yeah. there's nothing to do. Yeah. It's but it's just this this position that used to be completely critical yeah. on this older equipment yep. that they still have today. Oh yeah. But you don't understand it today, but then you see these older drag lines, you're like, oh I I, yeah. I get it, because that's that's a hard job. Yeah. I mean on the machine that I run, I you know, I'm non union, so I don't have an oiler, but yeah. I spend, you know, anywhere from an hour to almost two hours some days greasing and oiling that machine before I go to really? work. Yeah. Oh. So, you know, when when I, I do the undercarriage, um, when I do it completely, that's that can take a while. <laughs> Holy shit. Because there's a lot on that. I, I have so many things to ask you. What, why do you use the machine you do? So the advantage with a drag line is you have the ability to reach much further than you do with like a long reach excavator mm -hmm. and you have the, the you have the ability to have a much bigger bucket mm. so right now the machine that i'm running that has 100 feet of stick on it you know 100 feet of boom and i run that boom at about 35 degrees or so mm -hmm. and i can reach i mean i run 105 feet of drag rope on that rig and oh. I can throw that bucket all the way out there. Yeah. And, you know, so I can have 105 feet of reach and have, you know, basically a three yard bucket full at mm -hmm. the end of it. Whereas, you know, with a long reach excavator, if you wanted to have 100 feet of reach, you'd have to have a huge machine and only have a little teaspoon on the end of it. Yeah. I think there was a, for the Jetty project, that was about 100 foot. It was a 60 20. Yeah. Big machine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What, uh, so what are you, what are you digging? So I'm digging sand and gravel. Sand and gravel. And, you know, whatever else comes up. Is it underwater? Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have to use, you have to use something that can dig through the water. Right. You can't use it. So a conventional machine ruled out. Right. Or you can use a conventional machine, but you're just not getting very much. Right. Exactly. You're limited by your reach. Yeah. So you're, you're digging the, so the water table's high where you're at. Yep. You're casting it out there. Yep. Pulling it in at three yards at a time. Yep. And then flopping it up right next to you. Yep. Where and it'll be mined with a loader, I take it. Yeah. Yeah. They uh they haven't done it lately because they've been short on you know, short on guys and equipment and whatnot. So Yeah. I haven't had a loader there in a while. They just they needed it in one of their other pits, the company that I work for. But they're just piling it up right now? Yeah, just stack and stack and stack. Wow. I got a mountain there. I'm sure. <laughs> How much can you move in a day typically? Oh, I have no idea. I don't count. I mean, the thing is, in the material that I'm in, every bucket's different because there's a lot of clay mixed in there too. Huh. So that's the one disadvantage with the drag line is that you don't have the down pressure. So you're relying entirely on the shape of the bucket and you know the angle of the teeth and where mm -hmm. your drag chains are and whatnot in order to be able to get a good bite in there. So, like, if I hit clay, the bucket will either dig in and pull the ass end of the machine off the ground, or it'll skip right over it. Mm. So, you know, I mean, probably, yeah, yeah I, I really, I couldn't put a number. But it's, it's, it's all underwater, so you're just feeling it. Yeah. And so, you, based on the feel of the machine, you can tell, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm in some clay right now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm running that pretty much completely by the seat of my pants. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I can, I can uh. tell... I can tell if it's going to be a, a real heaper too, just by, you know, I listen to how hard the engine is working. Hmm. 
So if it really bogs down and I can really feel the machine moving <clears> forward, <throat> then I know I got something. This is a 1975 machine, so I take it there's no air conditioning. No. <laughs> nope. And there, there's a, a, a heater, quote unquote, uh, under the seat, uh-huh. which in the winter, it makes it warm enough in the cab that I can run that machine with a coat on without having to wear gloves. So do you run it all winter? <laughs> yeah. Really? So you, you run year round with juggling? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. This winter, I had to stop for about three weeks because- um, we we had a big snowstorm. I didn't have the loader there, so I couldn't plow the place out. And then what happened was some of the snow melted and it got underneath the uh, tracks of the machine. Mm. So I would go to walk it, and the tracks would just spin on the ice. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you get in that situation, there's not a whole lot you can do because otherwise, if you try to dig like that, you run the risk of pulling the machine into the water. So how deep under the water can you dig with your machine? So I can go down. With 105 feet of rope, I can go down about 35 or 40 feet. That's amazing. See, this is what people, I post a lot of videos of drag lines, mm-hmm. and we've been fortunate enough to see a lot in aggregate, which I think is fascinating. Yes. You're digging in water typically. Yep. And people just don't get it. They're like, well, why don't you just use an excavator? It'd be so much faster. I'm, yeah. I'm like, well, you're not going to be getting 40 feet. You, right, you dummy! Like, how long's your stick? Yeah, you, and ten and, feet, twelve feet. <laughs> right, exactly. And and people don't realize just how fast a drag line actually is either. You know, it yeah. might not look like much when you're watching it. Yeah, but you know that bucket. I mean, I know on the big ones that bucket's doing like forty miles an hour when you really lay into it mm-hmm. out there. What is your bucket perforated to yes. let the water drain out? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um. Oh shoot! So when I when I share stuff about drag lines because drag lines are mythical creatures in the dirt world i feel like they're just they're very rare yeah and they're not they're not typically seen i know they're a little bit more common in the northeast yeah by a little bit yeah that's but that's yeah. not saying a whole yeah, lot but yeah lot. They're, they're, i mean they're they're out there the everybody's like well that would be really fun for you know three cycles or whatever it is but every drag line operator i've met really likes what they do yeah so why why do you like Running a drag line. I mean, I... Assuming you like it. Oh, I do. And and albeit when things are going well, it can get to be mind-numbingly boring. <laughs> you know, because you are doing the same thing. But the thing that I like about running a friction rig is like, I really enjoy being able to throw that bucket out there. Mm. Because, you know, with a friction rig, you can fling that bucket way out beyond the end of the boom. Mm. So, you know, I kind of enjoy doing that. It's fun. It's like... I mean, it's it's kind of like you're fishing. Exactly. You, you use the yeah the force of, of your swing to cast the bucket out. Yeah. And now there, there's a couple different ways you can do it. Um, uh-huh. You know, one of the ways you can do it is if you just pull the bucket in towards you and let off your drag rake, mm. you can throw it out. You can throw it out that way. Yeah. But really, the way to if you really want to fling that sucker out there, you pull that bucket in towards you and then lay into your swing and then let off the drag brake and that'll really toss it because you're using the momentum of the swing to throw that bucket out there. Yeah. And what, that's pretty fun. Can you um, friction rig? How does, how does that work? So a friction rig, instead of having hydraulic motors to do the work, you have clutches and brakes. Mm. So basically how a friction rig works is you have, in the case of my machine that I run, a Murphy diesel that has a big clutch on the end of it. That clutch spins a pair of shafts and then the shafts have you have you have your drums mm-hmm. on each shaft 
and you have a round clutch inside each uh on the inside of the drum and my machine's air controls so when i engage that clutch or when i let's say i engage the drag lever what that does is that sends air to the air cylinder on the drag clutch and it takes those clutch surfaces and pushes them out mm. so it grabs the inside of the drum mm. and it makes the drum turn and then when i want to stop that when i want to get on my drag brake i let off on the clutch and push my drag brake down which is a foot a uh, foot pedal on the floor and you know it's the same thing with the hoist so when i want to lower the bucket down i just you know let off on my hoist brake so That's fantastic yeah so you're using you know both hands and both feet at the same time all the time and the thing with a friction rig and you know any other clutch machine whether it's you know an old cable aid or whatever is that you have to make the machine go but you have to make it stop too because otherwise it'll just keep going. Mm. <laughs> That's the difference. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with a friction rig, you know, you know, with a hydraulic machine, if you let go of everything, everything stops. Yeah. If you let go of everything on a friction rig, all hell breaks loose. Really? You're going to have, you know, rope flying and this and that. So, wow. so you have, have to make to it go, on. but you have to make it stop. So you're, I mean, it is mind numbing, but you're having to think. Yeah. All day. And it is, it is a quite, quite physical it, it's yeah. not like a hydraulic machine with electronic controls where it's just the joysticks and you're chilling, man. Yeah. It's, that's a very physical. Oh, Pe- yeah. People that don't understand operating very well, like one guy, he's like, oh, yeah, oh, the operator has to go up and sit in his seat for 12 hours and just sit there. I'm like, well, apparently you've never run a dozer and rock before. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> you do that for five minutes and you're like, this is a very physical job. Oh, yeah. Running a machine, a friction machine mm-hmm. from 1975, that's as physical as it gets in the operating world. Yeah. And and for me, that one's easy. I mean, air controls are a piece of cake. Oh, wow. Because you have the air engaging the clutches. But, you know, with an old manual machine, some guys call those a crowbar rig where you have the big long levers. Mm-hmm. That, you're doing all that, you know, completely manually. And- you know, I've run a lot of machines. The thing is, with the mechanical machines, those really get stiff from sitting. So there's a real art in, you know, adjusting those. Because if you have the mechanical rig right, you can run it with your fingers, mm-hmm. literally. Like I was just, just last weekend, I was on a, a 10B beside your with a hoe on it. And that machine, you can run with your fingers, no problem at all. But really? it's getting those to that point. That can be a lot of work because you got to, you know, there's a lot of the old time guys, they'll say that the grease is for the machine, the oil is for the operator. So you use the oil can to get all the controls moving smooth to make it easier on you Mm. so you can run it. Wow. And, you know, you get your clutches adjusted just right and everything. And, And a lot of things that some, you know, a lot of things that some people might not understand is that with a friction rig, Turning an adjusting nut a quarter turn can make all the difference in the world on how that machine operates. It is. So with all of this, it is amazing. Most of the machines at these shows are completely obsolete. Yeah. You won't see them on drop sites. No. I mean, very rarely you'll see some guy running some way old tractor. You're like, wow, that's 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 fascinating. Yeah. But drag lines are probably the among the only machines that you'll see still operating yeah. very regularly. Yeah. From, I mean, the 70s is late 
for some of them, 60s, 50s, some of them are old. Oh, yeah. And they're still full bore. Yeah. And still nothing can touch them. Yeah. Which is, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of old Manitowocs and a lot of old Americans still out there getting after it. Yeah. I think that's, we went to Reading Anthracite. Yep. And they run a few of those. Yeah. I think Manitowoc. Yeah. I'm yeah. 4,600 4, probably. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Those, I'm, those I'm not were, a crane guy, so I don't know. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you there. I, <laughs> I don't know about that, but they also have that old drag line up on the hill. Oh, at Reading? Yes. Oh, the big one? Yeah. Yeah, I've never been there. I've seen the pictures. Yeah. yeah I think that's a Marion. Yeah, it is a yeah. Marion. Yeah, she's she's a pretty big girl. Yeah. And sitting up on the hill. Yeah, what is that, like 50 or 60 yard or something like that? Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah, 40 or 50. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about that <clears throat> strip mine stuff because, you know, where I live, I mean, you you never had that stuff up There's my not, way. No, where, where you are, it's really only gravel. Yeah, sand and gravel. yeah, a lot, a lot of rock, a lot of sand, a lot of gravel, clay in spots, you know. New England is very, very rocky. Yeah. So that's why, like, you never see scrapers in New England ever because mm-hmm. they don't do well in the rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. It is, and I had never spent a lot of time in New England, but we started to go up there recently. And, mm-hmm. yeah, that's pretty much all that's up there. Yeah. It's a, it's a hard place to work. Oh, yeah. Everything's blasted. Yeah. Yep. And and it's fascinating too, especially with these big commercial projects now, because they're getting into more and more and more undesirable land. Mm-hmm. And so the projects are only getting bigger. Right. To develop the same square footage. Yeah. Because they have to go into these hills. Yeah. I and, mean, that high school job they did up in Waltham there, yeah. that was nuts. Yeah. That was How many f- yards of rock did they move for that? Mm-hmm. It was at least half a million yards exported. Yeah. <laughs> All in road trucks too. Yeah, to put half a million yards of rock. Yeah, over the road. Oh yeah, in a residential neighborhood. Yeah. When we were out there, they were running a hundred and twenty trucks, and they're like, "Yeah, this is a slow day." Wow. They had whole scale house set up. Wow. To be weighing trucks on the way out, and and the truck, the line of trucks was all the way in, and people directing traffic, and you know the truck wash, so people oh, yeah. didn't get all upset about the trucks tracking stuff out. It was. Yeah. And it was a, there was multiple, I think they had a 670 excavator, mm-hmm. uh, a 982, and a 988 loading trucks all out at the same time. Wow. And that would be, okay, cool. Quarry or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check. Yeah. That's all day long. It was a high school project. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, even to me, that's wild. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They had a, a, a Komatsu 1100 and a 6015. Wow. And I think a 395 out there. Oh, yeah. That was Vinagro, right? Yeah, Vinagro. Yeah. Have you been to their recycling facility? I haven't. In Providence? I haven't. Dude. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I got a friend of mine that's stuck in a rock truck for him, though, in Charlton right now. Oh, is that right? Yeah, one of my best friends from high school. He, we, uh, we must have saw him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Yeah. Yeah, he's on that job. They got the 6015 and the yeah, 395 yeah. over there and whatever else. It's on that project. It's funny. They have one of every rock truck. Oh, like yeah. They have a Doosan. They have cats. They have Volvos. Yeah, I think my buddy Tim is in one of the Volvos. I think they might even have deer. Uh, they have, it's a little bit everything. Yeah. But the Volvos are nice because they have the A60s out there. Oh, okay. Anyway. Educate me. I don't know about that new stuff. What's an A60? I'm. It's the, well, it's the 60 ton hold. It's the 60 ton articulated truck. I gotcha. So it's like a 45 ton articulated truck. Yep. um, 
just ate a Domino's pizza. Oh, okay. Four nights a week and didn't go to the gym for a year. Oh, okay. And so it's just it just looks. I gotcha. It it it's like they took the A forty five and just made it chunkier. Oh, okay. But I it gotcha. Put another fifteen tons in the back. Yeah. And it's supposed to be top notch truck. Oh, okay. Um. All right. So new truck sidebar. Let's go back to the old equipment. <laughs> how How old are you? I am twenty seven. So how the hell do you run? How the hell do you learn how to run a a friction machine? So I'm lucky. I grew up with it. Um, My dad, you know, after he got done oiling for that guy on that LS98, he went out and bought himself a 22 BB Cyrus series and did dragline work with that for a while. That's a three-quarter yard machine. And then in 1983, he bought a 975 American, which is a three and a half yard, 110 ton friction crawler crane. And he did uh-huh. dragline work with that for a while. And we still have that machine okay. in our backyard, you know, as yeah. one does. Yeah. So I grew well, up around I that. don't. But yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally me, me and Larry. But uh, <laughs> I grew up around that machine. So my dad did dragline work with it for a while. And then he's done all kinds of crazy stuff with that machine, all kinds of, you know, Pile driving work, slurry wall work. He's had it on barges a bunch of times, all kinds of stuff. And he he's done, it's retired now, but he did hook work with that for a long time too. So that's what he was doing when I was growing up. So he was he was basically an owner operator? Yeah. With that machine? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. So he did a bunch of work on the big dig with it, a bunch of slurry no wall work and pile driving work and whatnot. Holy smokes. Clamshell work in there. Yeah. Oh, oh that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, That's he, cool. uh, I'll have to dig up the pictures for you. I know one of the jobs he was doing, there used to be these wooden floating dry dock sections in Boston that were left over from World War II. They had these two absolutely colossal wooden floating dry docks that they used. And after the dry docks got to be worn out, they cut them up into sections and they used the floor of them as barges. Hmm. So... He was on a job somewhere with the American on one of those dry dock sections. And those things were made out of like 12 by 12 oak timbers, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of them mm-hmm. all bolted together and everything. And uh, he had to, I forget what he was doing, but he had to walk that machine off the barge. And I got pictures, there's pictures of him, of him walking that crane off the barge on this ramp, basically this bridge made out of crane mats onto land. So that 110-ton machine in some of those pictures is like 12 feet off the ground with water underneath, walking it off that dry dock section. That is neat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then my dad, he calls that machine his first son. (laughs) Well, uh, he's probably spent more time with that machine than... Oh, yeah. I mean, just the hours you, he's probably sat in that piece of equipment. Oh, yeah. He's probably been in that thing more than he's been anywhere else. Yeah. In and a physical space. I would, I mean, I, I would bet that he probably knows more about 900 Americans than just about anybody else. He could work wow. on that machine in his sleep easily. Well, be, because, yeah, be, it, and that's the fascinating thing about these machines. You don't just call your local equipment dealer. And be like, hey, yeah, we got a problem. Can you send a technician? And they come out there, plug their computer in. Oh, yeah, it's this fault code. We'll fix it right away. That doesn't work that way. No. You're, if it breaks, that's essentially, that's on you. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's Especially now. Especially now. So you have to know everything, 
everything about that machine. Yeah. Because it's it's wholly your responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, mean, I know is how it used to be for every machine. Right. But not not nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, the problem that you run into now is that, you know, a lot of the old guys have retired or died or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the knowledge, you know, isn't out there like it used to be. So, why you being 27 the same age why don't you like the why 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 are you drawn to the old stuff rather than the new stuff aren't young people supposed to be all about gps and technology and oh we have the latest technology that's how we attract the next generation which i feel like is a weird it's a little misguided yeah well what's so appealing about it i just i like i'm not taking away anything from guys that run new stuff but I feel like, in a sense, a lot of the skill has been taken away because, mm. you know, you got these machines that will practically, practically run themselves now. And that's, you know, no disrespect to anybody that's running new stuff. But I just, I like a challenge. Mm. And, you know, guys back then, they were running the stuff 100 years ago. And look what they were doing 100 years ago with this stuff. Yeah. And I just, I think it's cool to have that skill. And I just, I like that, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. You know, it, it, it takes a certain person to be able to run a friction rig, but you can do a lot with one. And in some, on, in some situations, I just think they're better, mm-hmm. like pile driving, for example. I don't know how much you know about pile driving. But uh, an unfortunate amount. An unfortunate yeah, amount. Yeah, because I used to. Oh, you I had to... an involvement in a pile driving operation. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. A few months, a few miserable months. Yeah, it's it's hard work. I was I was count I was I was in charge of counting blows. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, my head hurts just thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So not only was it enough to be around a pile driving operation to just listen to the hammer, yeah. but I had to listen to the hammer because that's how yeah. I was doing my job. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like. You know, when you're pile driving, you know how sometimes you'll hit a soft spot and that pile will jump. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're doing that with a hydraulic machine and the hammer doesn't let go of it, mm-hmm. bad things can happen. Mm-hmm. That's how that rig went over on the Tappan Zee Bridge. Is that right? Yeah. They were, I believe that's what happened. They were pile driving with it and they hit a soft spot. And those pile hammers, they have an automatic release on them mm-hmm. for when something like that happens. Well, that didn't work. And it pulled, and I think that was a 650-ton Manitowoc, and it pulled that entire machine over, over the, you know, over the old bridge with traffic going. Oh. Didn't kill anybody somehow, but, you know, if they had been using a 4,600 ringer or whatever, if they had hit a soft spot, it would have just pulled through the brake, yeah. and nothing would have happened. So, you know, I very much feel like friction rigs have their place still. That is so interesting. Yeah. Some things you don't think about, you know? And heavy equipment. So there, you know, you think technology only makes things better. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of the technologies made heavy equipment better. I agree. And this is, it could be a potentially controversial opinion, but a lot of companies still run the old, I mean, like the scrapers, for example. Oh, yeah. Most companies still prefer the scrapers out of the 70s and 80s. Yeah. I mean- Decades, decades, decades old machines. Yeah, that outperform the new machines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and unlike huh? the stuff that's being built now, see, this is the other thing I like about old equipment. The stuff that they built back then, when they built something, they meant it. 
Yeah. They built it to last. Yeah. New stuff, they don't build it to last. They build it to get used up and then throw it throw it away. That's exactly it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have a I have a nineteen twenty five American crane at home. That's the oldest machine I got. And that sat in the same spot in northern Vermont for fifty four years that I know about. Dad and I got it running in an hour and a half. Oh shit. We walked it on the trailer. After it sat, it sat for 54 years. It sat for 54 years. We got the engine running in about an hour and a half, and then we had to, that thing was stiff as a boot from sitting. So we had, you know, a couple of days in getting yeah, things oiled yeah. and greased and freed up and whatnot. But yeah, it walked itself on the trailer. Got a 935 cubic inch Hercules gasser in it. Whoa. Yeah. It's got like a five and three quarter bore in it. So, you know, a great big coffee can sized pistons flailing around I'm in there. I'm sure that sounds pretty damn Oh, it's awesome. It's got a four-inch straight pipe on it. Holy smokes. Oh, yeah. That thing's cool. No emissions controls, huh? Absolutely not. (laughs) Never heard of them. You do just have to scratch your head, though. um, We're up on the oil sands, and one of the big things is they're rebuilding a lot of the trucks up there Mm -hmm. because that's that's the point. They're they're built to just continue to rebuild. Yeah. And uh, I'm a big fan of of Avon Chenard, who started Patagonia. Mm-hmm. And which is surprising because they're staunchly opposed to mining. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And and I think it's a little misguided, but hey, you know, yeah, they can believe in whatever they want to believe in. Yeah. But one of his big things, and one of Patagonia's big things, is you have reduce, reuse, recycle. Mm-hmm. So recycle is at the end. Recycling is not actually a good thing because you're still producing whatever you're right. recycling, and there's still people don't get the whole recycled thing. It's very expensive and energy intensive to recycle things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. Not, it's not a very good thing to be recycling. So you go, you go before that and, okay, great. If you can't reduce, you can reuse. Mm-hmm. And they actually, and he's actually cited Caterpillar mm-hmm. as one of the good examples of companies that build things to reuse. Yep. Now, today's machines, the jury is very much out on today's machines. But you could rebuild machines made in the 90s, 80s, 70s, oh, yeah. all day long. Yeah, absolutely. All day long. Yeah. And they're remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, if, if you if if you got the time and money, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you want to talk about steam-powered stuff again. There's this guy out in North Dakota, Corey Anderson. He's got the 150-horsepower uh, case steam tractor. They built six of those back in around, you know, 1913 or so. None of them survived except for the boiler for one of them. Corey, he owns a foundry. So he said, you know what? I want a 150 case. So he built one from scratch. Did he, he had to have the, the schematics or something? Yeah, he had the, he researched and he found all the original blueprints at case. Because, you know, case, they've been around for a long, long, long time. Yeah, yeah. So. He was able to find all the blueprints, and he built that machine from scratch. So, you know, if you got the time and money, anything's possible. Well, and a foundry. Yeah, and a foundry. Yeah, that that, that helps, especially on a steam tractor where everything is cast. Holy smokes. Yeah. And at that point, I mean, it becomes almost priceless. Yeah. He's got the only one. (laughs) And, you know, like I know guys, you know, Gary Mahan, he's a, Big collector of trucks out in New Jersey, big Mac guy. Nice, nice, nice guy. He uh 
they'll take a truck where it's basically a frame and a couple of axles and build it. Mm. You know, bring it back. He'll build a cab, hood, radiator, all of it. <clears throat> and when he when his guys when him and his guys do stuff, it's perfect. Absolutely perfect. I being mechanically inclined was uh is a skill set I wish I had. Mm-hmm. Because growing up, no mechanical inclination whatsoever. Yeah. None. Mm-hmm. I started to do things with my hands when I got into aquariums, funny enough. Yeah. Where you would have to wire things yeah. and plumbing and yeah. woodworking and working with glass and rock. And, and there's a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And chemistry, it, 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 it started to be really fun for me. Mm-hmm. But working manual labor, the first time I actually did formal manual work was when I was 14 years old. So uh-huh. I went my whole life not doing anything. Yeah. Because that just wasn't where I, I grew up. Yeah. But then I started doing it. I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. I love doing manual work. Oh, and yeah. everybody talks shit about it. But again, I think it's misguided because- It absolutely is. There's something so fulfilling about it. Yeah. But the problem is I've had to learn all of this stuff as a grown ass man. Yeah. Like how to chain something down, how mm-hmm. to use a, 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 how to use chains and binders. I'm yeah. Like, I don't fucking know how to use chains and binders. And I'm sitting out there struggling with it yeah. as a, you know, 26 year old, fully grown male, yeah. feeling like a total idiot uh, because I didn't have the background. You know what, though? That's all right, though, because we all got to start somewhere. You know, well, not, not yeah. of us were born knowing how to do this shit. You know what I mean? Yes. I got lucky because I grew up in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, my dad, he's got pictures of me on that American when I was, you know, no feet tall. And <laughs> so I got lucky there. But, you know, we all got to start somewhere. I mean, I still remember the first time I got in the seat of a friction rig. Yeah. And I did the first thing that everybody else does. It was a 22B with a clamshell on it. And I got in that machine and I pushed that lever forward and I picked that clamshell up off the ground. And then I released the lever and didn't put my feet on the brakes. And I dropped the bucket and all the rope went off both drums and made a mess. And, nice. You know, then I got it all back on the drums and, and I learned. Yeah. You know, it just takes practice. That's all it is. You know, as Garrett would say, there ain't nothing to it but to do it. <laughs> that, but that's what's frustrating is I feel like you have to learn a lot of this stuff through mistakes. Mm-hmm. But there's this culture now in the industry mm-hmm. that mistakes are not tolerated. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 I'd, I'd go with that. And so how, so how do you learn then? Uh, uh, <laughs> when you make a mistake, if that boss is being a dick, you just tell him to fuck right off. Is that, is that the, well, That's, well, but then he'll just say, okay, then, then you go fuck right off and go yeah. find another job. Even though they can't afford to fire you, they're yeah. going to fire you anyway. Cause that's how they grew up. Yeah. You got to stick up for yourself though. I think I think you do, mm-hmm. but there but there's these big companies that have like no yeah. no mistake tolerance yeah. whatsoever. You yeah. scratch a machine, you're fired. Yeah, and of course, there's, I mean, obviously, there's a fine line. It's not that easy to just tell your boss to fuck off. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, and it's definitely I think it's a different world that we're living in now. It's a different world, yeah, and that's the point. People like you are rare. Yeah. There's not many people that grew up on friction machines anymore. Yeah. Uh, and we're expecting all these kids to show up on these job sites and n- know everything. Right. But <laughs> how are they going to know everything, though, if they don't have any experience prior? You got to be able to that's, teach them. That's it. And they, but, but you even know, have to know how to teach them because, like, for someone like you, mm-hmm. it's a diff, it's, it's, it's different because you've just naturally learned yeah. your entire life. 
Yeah. You didn't at 18 years old start learning. Oh, so here was how I was taught. Right. Because you were taught in a different way because you basically just through osmosis absorbed a lot of what you know. Yeah. And so you have to people people like you have to go back and figure all right and break it down. So how do I do something? How do I articulate it? Which you've done a very nice job of today. Thank you. And how do I pass that off onto somebody else? But a lot of people don't have the patience or the project schedule is so tight, or their their boss is up their ass about production, that yeah. God forbid we slow down to teach someone how to do something. Yeah. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's tough. Yeah. You know, the, the, the patience there to teach somebody is not there mm-hmm. like it used to be. Yeah because, like. yeah, because that's not how they were taught. Right. They got shit thrown at them. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, back in the day when you actually had oilers, you know, you learned how to run the rig yeah. when you were the oiler because, you know, you'd get on it at lunchtime or whatever while the operator was eating his lunch and, you know, fiddle fuck around with it and mm-hmm. figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, but you, know, yeah. you don't have, we don't have that culture the way that we used to. Well, that's the downside of, of GPS mm-hmm. and grade control. Mm-hmm. So now that operator doesn't need somebody on the ground with mm-hmm. a grade rod yep. telling them, yep. They're, you're good to go, or with an eye level saying, yep, you're good to go. But that's where you learn how to run the excavator. That's the best place to learn how to run a machine and grade a project and manage earth moving operations on the ground. Right. But now you've eliminated the ground person because you can't find those ground people anymore. Right. If replaced them with technology, which I'm all fine with, getting more efficient, great. Yeah. But now we have even less entry level positions than we used to have when we have a greater workforce problem. Right. And so, and all these jobs that you look at, they all say, oh, you know, you got to have at least three years experience or five years yeah, experience. And yes, how are you supposed to get that if nobody's willing to teach you? That's it. And but and and that comes largely from production. We need to meet production. You know, mm-hmm. the schedule is up our ass right now, and we can't make mistakes because this GC is going to kick us off the project if yeah. we scratch something. Yeah. So we need experienced people. Which, but then experience doesn't actually mean a whole lot. Right. And everybody knows it, and yet they still require it. Yeah. So it's like. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, I've seen guys out there on jobs that, you know, they've been running machines for, you know, 30 years or whatever, and they still don't have a fucking clue. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. There are some people that they just have a natural inclination for it, and some people just don't. Yeah. Yeah. And some guys are all talk and no walk. Mm. I've seen that plenty. There's a lot of that. Yeah. What uh, do you, I guess you can't like listen to anything when you're running a machine or anything like that. No, I, I don't. I, uh, you just I, listen to the machine. Yeah, I listen to the machine. So, you know, if something, if something needs adjusting or whatever, I'll be able to hear it. Or, you know, if I hear, you know, if I hear air start leaking or whatever, mm-hmm. then I can stop what I'm doing and fix it. How often does that happen? Not super often i mean a few times a week you know just adjustments here and there like you can feel it and things you know what what'll happen is on a busy day when i'm really getting after it you know those the hoist clutch will heat up and it'll start to slip so it won't Mm. pick up the bucket so you know i'll have to stop and get out and adjust the hoist clutch you know tighten it up a little bit Mm. so you know things like that is it your machine or is it owned by the company you work for it's owned by the company that i work for Interesting. But yep. you guys have machines like that. Yes. Yeah. So between my dad and I, uh, we have about a hundred pieces of antique 
construction equipment and trucks and whatnot. That's wow. the other thing we like. We like antique trucks a lot too. Wow. Yeah. And it's all at your homestead. Most of it's at the house. Yeah. Just sitting in the yard. Yeah. Holy yeah. We're, 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 we're trying to get a building up so we can actually, you know, get some paint on some of this stuff. Oh yeah. No, it'd, it'd be nice to, <laughs> it'd be nice to, you know, be able to drag these machines home and, you know, really restore them properly. Yeah. But, you know, what I do now is I just try to make sure that everything that I have runs good. Really? Runs and operates the way it's supposed to. Because it's not, you know, when you when you bring a machine to a, an equipment show, it, it's not like a car show. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. You know, if it runs half-ass decent, then that's fine. <laughs> mm. You know, there's, nobody's judging your stuff or anything. Um, But that must, that's a, that's a lot of work to maintain all that equipment. Oh, yeah. It is. So you guys perpetually tinkering on stuff pretty much yeah i mean you know i i uh go to work and run an old crane and i come home and work on old cranes or whatever it may be is it like pretty much sun up to sundown more or less yeah and your dad's always out there too i'm sure oh yeah wow yeah in the winter time we slow down because you know yeah obvious reasons yeah but yeah it's you know it's a lot i mean we enjoy it but it's definitely, it's a lot of work. It's not for everybody. Yeah, but that's, I mean, if you enjoy it, then. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You don't have to explain it. No. I'm, I'm living my life. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. So. Yeah. Life is good. Where do you find these machines? So, a lot of them I hear about through word of mouth. Um, I get stuff sent to me a lot. Recently, I've, <laughs> recently, I've found quite a bit of stuff on Facebook. Believe it or not. Go figure. Like my turner dozer that I have, that's one of the most unusual pieces of equipment I have. And that I found on Facebook of all places. You know, it was posted on Facebook in Western New York State. And I showed it to dad and he goes, We gotta have that. <laughs> so I sent the my so I sent the guy a message and we went out and looked at it and bought it. And that's a you familiar with those at all? That's a really interesting machine. So they steer like a skid steer. And, you know, you're familiar with the Letourneau name. Yeah. He built a lot of wild, crazy stuff back in the day. It was like he was a true heavy equipment pioneer. Oh, yeah. And they just tried shit. Yeah. Which I wish they would do more of nowadays. Yes, exactly. But they built some wacky stuff back in the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I like to say that, you know, Laterno was basically a madman that they let design equipment. Yeah. But the stuff that he built, you know, yeah, it was goofy, but he built some wild stuff. He probably he probably has influenced the earth-moving equipment lineup more than anybody else. Yeah. In terms of, in, like, from a, a variance of different designs. Yeah. Because they have their hand in everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've built... A little bit of everything and, you know, yeah. custom one-off stuff. Yeah. Well, like in Vietnam, I believe they had these, you know, giant cre- tree crushers out there working, oh, which were these big, absolutely monster either, I think they were four-wheeled things that they had these giant steel wheels on them with this big brush guard out in the front. Whoa. And they were designed to basically just, you know, stomp through the jungle and you know, crush all the trees so they could make build roads and this and that. Yeah. And one of them still exists. There's one sitting up in Canada. 
No way. I think in British Columbia, yeah, that wound up up there. It's in a museum. Yeah. Um, but you found this dozer. Yeah, so I found this dozer, and come to find out, the guy that we bought it from, he bought it from the guy that bought it new. So we're only the third owners. And when, when, how old is it? It's a 1952. Holy smokes. And the, uh, the original owner paid $13,000 for it brand new. Wow. In 1952. And he was saying that the guy that we bought it from was saying that it took him two weeks to figure out whether he could afford to pay for it or not. Wow. And it still has the original front tires on it. So do you basically, you basically work, you save your money Mm -hmm. and you go buy equipment. Pretty much. Yeah. And it's, it's like the just, responsible adult that I am. Hey, you know? <laughs> you're, in your, you're in your 20s, dude. You can do whatever the hell you want in your 20s. Yeah. Um, I decided to waste all my money on a company. Well, it seems to are. be working out for you. So, uh, yeah. uh, mm, uh, I mean, from the outside looking in anyway. Yeah, that's that's the trick. <laughs> that's the trick. Yeah. Um, uh, running, into, running a tight shipwreck, are you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but do, do you sell any of this equipment or really, does it just accumulate? It just accumulates. How much land do you guys have? We got forty acres. Oh, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I thought that would be enough until our uh, <sighs> shitty neighbors came along. But oh, did they complain about the equipment? Oh yeah, really. Even though you can't see any of it from the road. So why do they complain? I I don't know. We have this one couple in town that thinks they're the Temple HOA, and you know they think they own the town, and that's they a shame. just yeah they they put their fingers in everything and. It's it's unfortunate. So but has it, but it hasn't stopped you guys. No. Yeah. Still no. Bring ba- the ba- basically, in. the more they complain, the more I buy. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So is it? Uh, you work Monday through Friday, yep. and then all weekend, either equipment show or tinkering around. Yeah. Or what? you know, going out for a drive and looking at stuff or whatever. It's stuff to buy. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people when they're getting into it, you know, buy one machine and make it really nice because as soon as you buy more than one, you're fucked. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. Because <laughs> after that, it's just going to explode. Well, yeah, and you're 27. You're already screwed. So. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I have way more stuff than any one person should have. But, uh, hey, you know what? Whatever. Does your dad still work? Yeah. What yep. does he do? He's a union operator. Oh, so, is that right? Yep. He's in Local 4. Oh, Local 4. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Who does he work for? there uh he's laid off right now but he's worked for you know all different people yeah all different companies and whatnot he's a he's a crane guy that's his main thing that's what that's what he likes to run okay so, is is that operating engineers yes crane still within operating engineers yeah 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 pretty much anything that is in the actual construction world so even stuff like a lull or a fork truck or yeah. whatever yeah is considered local four territory. Mm. And I don't, I mean, I don't really know a whole lot about how that works. Cause I'm not union, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, he's been in, well, he was in during the big dig and then he got out, um, to go, you know, to go off on his own, which he thought would be a better idea and didn't really work out as well as I think he hoped it would, but yeah. you know, he's back in now and things are going well. So to, I mean, to work anywhere near Boston, you got to be union. Yeah. That's a very strong, oh yeah, very strong union part yeah. of the country. Yeah. And then local four is big. They're big. It's like 5,000 yeah. members. Yeah. That's a big time union. Yeah. But a very uh, good union too. They really have their shit together. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's like anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like any company. There's great unions. There's not great unions. Mm-hmm. There's great companies. There's not great companies. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's 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 like anything. Oh yeah, and and we've all worked for shitty companies before. Yeah. You know, yeah. shitty companies and shitty bosses. There's no shortage of them. No. Yeah. No, I'm not going to name any name any names, but I've definitely had a few. <laughs> um. So are you? But you're pretty much on your own nowadays. Do they just leave you alone? Yeah. Yeah. I Is just, it just you where you're at? Yep. There's not even a guy with a loader. Nope. Nope. And even when there was a loader, it was <laughs> still just me. Yeah. And when they would send trucks, you know, I would get out of the drag line and load trucks. And I, I enjoyed that. I mean, it was kind of a nice break to go, you know, back and forth between the two. Just switch things up and do something different. Is it just a local sand and gravel operation? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And they have a concrete plant too. Really? Yeah. And the guy that I work for, he's a collector as well. So he's got a few machines of his own and whatnot. So how do people find an equipment show to go to? So, um, most of these groups now are on Facebook. Uh, I know National Pike is on there. Uh, HCEA, that's that's a big one. Mm. The Historical Construction Equipment Association. That's cool. And they're having their show. They have they own the National Construction Equipment Museum in Bowling Green, Ohio, and they have a traveling convention every year. And I think it's every three years it's at their museum. Wow. So it's going to be back at their museum this year. Is that right? Yeah. In Bowling Green. In Bowling Green. That's pretty close. Yeah. I can get there in a day from New Hampshire, so that's that's close enough for me. Yeah. But from, from will you do you always bring a piece of equipment with you to these shows? Yeah. Yeah. And this year we're probably going to try to bring at least two and if not three. Dang. Yeah. Probably a low bed load and then a load on the pickup and then my stepdad will drive the little trailer. No kidding. Yeah. Envoy. Yeah. Of old Hell shit. Yeah. Hell wow. yeah. Wow. When uh, let me know when that show is. Absolutely, I would love. Yeah, Bowling, Bowling Green's close. Yeah, that's super easy. Yeah, and that that that's I've always really enjoyed conventions up there, and they have. I, I don't know. Are you familiar with HC at all? No. So they just rescued this. I think it's a hundred and fifty ton Terex haul truck. Um, I forget what model. I guess it's the only one left. It sat in Oklahoma for decades, and it was going to get scrapped, and um. Larry Kutkowski bought it for HCEA and um, they've since then have taken it apart and moved most of it to the museum. And then Larry, who owns Lakeside Sand and Gravel, um, he's the former president of the HCEA and he's got the frame and the engine and all that at his place. And they're working on that and getting that ready to go. And I think they want to put that truck together at the show, at least assemble it. I don't know what their plans are with it after that yeah whether they're going to drive it around or not but i know that's one of the things that they're going to be doing there and they 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 have a big collection themselves at the museum they have about 150 pieces Hmm. you know everything ranging from horse-drawn equipment you know all the way up to you know 70s machines or whatever and there's always a spread of new stuff that shows up too from the local cat dealer at these, of, of course, yeah, mm-hmm. you got to promote the new blazing craze. Yeah. Um, are All these shows friendly to people visiting or oh, is yeah. it like a, no, nah, this is kind of our club? No, not at all. Really? Come on out. That's cool. Anybody and everybody. Okay. All right. You know, I, I think, I think it's important that people see this old stuff and see how they used to do it back in the day. And, you know, if, if we can... <laughs> If we can get that person that has, you know, their grandfather's old shovel sitting in the backyard or whatever, if we can get that person to say, hey, maybe I shouldn't scrap this, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I should 
you know, maybe I should fix it up or maybe I should find a home for it. Somebody that can save it. Yeah. If we can get, you know, one person to do that, we're doing our job. Yeah. That, and you know? that's, I guess that's the fate of most old equipment. It goes and is scrapped and yeah. is melted down and turned into Priuses. Yeah. That's which is a damn shame. It is. It is. And I've seen many a good machine go to the torch that shouldn't have. Yeah. We saw the other day there was an old P&H shovel. Oh, really? At the scrapyard. Oh. Getting cut up. It oh. was a it was a big mining shovel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, rig yeah. Um, um, a rope shovel. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it might have been a 4100, like an older one. Yep. It was up in the oil sands. Mm-hmm. And it just gets to a point where it's like, send it to the scrapyard. Yeah. Write us a check for however much it weighs. And yeah. that's that. Yeah. And when I buy stuff, that's basically who you're competing with is the junk man. Oh, you basically have to just beat out the scrap price. Pretty much. I mean, it, it depends on the person. I've had a yeah. lot of machines given to me because somebody will have it and they just want to see it go to a good home. That's cool. You know, like that coring drag line I had at the Rockbuster show that last weekend. That was given to us. Is that right? Yeah, because the guy that owned that, unfortunately, he he got killed on one of his other machines and the family just wanted to see the, the coring that he had go to a good home to somebody that was going to appreciate it. That's tragic. Yeah, he uh, put his hand in the right one. The the number one rule with a friction rig is that you never get out of the seat with the master clutch engaged, ever. Mm. And I guess he was putting a swinger in it. So he had this lima, and he was putting a, a set of swingers in it and uh, bumped the master clutch to get it, just to get the clutch to move a little bit so he could get the pin in, and unfortunately it engaged fully and it grabbed his hand. And <sighs> yeah, that was doesn't bear thinking about. That's terrible. Yeah. That's terrible. So, you know, I love this old stuff. Yeah. But you got to be careful. Got to respect it. You gotta, yeah. You got to watch it because it doesn't give a fuck about you. Mm. So mm. you got to respect it. But anyway. <laughs> wow. Well, this is all so fascinating. Oh, yeah. When's the show in Bowling Green? That is, it's a three-day show. I believe it's the weekend of September 25th. Okay. So it's like the... It's either the 24th through the 26th or the 25th through the 27th. I'd have to look. I'll talk to Eric about that. Yeah. We'll be there in force. We'll probably have uh, the Lorraine Scooper there, which is the only one known to exist. Maybe I'll bring up my cow's kids, dear. There you go. It's not old, though. That's all right. Do you think it'd be frowned upon? Like- I-, I mean, it's been flipped over already, so it's got some time on it. That's true. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe we'll bring the earth mover with us. Yeah. Just keep mm. it trackside down, you know? <laughs> no promises. No promises. Don't have a good record there. <laughs> Someone, I posted a, a video the other day of, they they have in LA, all of these waste machines. When you go to Quinn Cat, mm-hmm. it's always like half the shop is waste machines, oh, yeah. which is awesome. It's the only place I've seen waste machines at scale before. Mm-hmm. And they have all these little skid steers that go into these transfer stations. Mm-hmm. And you're running in a tight area, so they put this guarding around the back. Really heavy duty guarding, mm-hmm. and I was making fun of Eric, who's one hell of an operator. Yeah. But oh, Eric, you know they're going to put this on all of your machines now because uh, 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 basically meaning he bumps into everything. Oh yeah. And someone on the internet said, "Do they make those for the roof as well?" And I'm like, ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> walked right into that one. I yeah. deserve it. Um, uh, Eric might be a hell of an operator. He's pretty pretty good at breaking rope. Oh, oh yeah. he broke the drag rope on the coring last weekend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did yeah. see that. It happens. You have to learn. Yeah, you got to learn. How do you break a rope? You just 
if you catch a hard spot and or whatever, give and, it hell too much. Yeah, I've I've done that on the uh, the northwest that I run before. When I first started there, I was digging in this one swampy section of the pond, and I threw that bucket out there in the mud, and it kind of stuck there. And I pulled that drag lever, and the machine went mm. and broke that one inch wire rope like nothing. One inch rope. Yeah. So that's like a I don't know fifty thousand pound breaking strength. Woof. Something like that. Yeah, no problem at all. It's kind of like fishing, though. You catch a little piece of seaweed or something like that, or you're yeah. in, you're in a lake and you're yeah. stuck on a log, and you yep. give it too yeah give it too much, and yeah, it happens. And you yeah. know, as, as far as that goes, I mean, these old machines, especially, it's really hard to actually break them. You know, stuff like breaking a rope or whatever that's that's routine. Yeah, and on a small machine like that, on the coring, it you know, it takes ten minutes to fix that. Really? If that, if you got the right tools, yeah, you just cut the end off of it and throw it back through the crow foot and, you know, life is good. Go back to work. I saw them changing out the cables on one of their big drag lines up in North Dakota, mm-hmm. um, maybe two years ago now, and they had to use a D10. Oh, wow. To pull the cable through the machine. Oh, yeah. Which was sweet. Yeah, I'll bet. But that just goes to show the cables and the weight that they have. Yeah, because they run what, like three inch wire rope out there or something like that? It, it must be. It is substantial. Yeah. Substantial. Yeah. And then how do they thread the new one in onto the drum? I don't know. Yeah. I asked, probably asked them about this, but yeah. that is way above my. Yeah. Because I, I know they, they don't, you know, on a regular machine, you lower the boom down to do that, but I don't think they ever do that on those. So I think what they do is they attach it to the old one. Yeah. And they, as they unwind the old one, yep. they wind the new one on there, yep. which is why I think they use a D10. Yeah. So I, that makes I, sense. I think that's what they do is, so the D10 sitting out in front, mm-hmm. sometimes they will, they will uh, lower the boom. And maybe this is completely wrong, yep. but the D10's out front pulling the old cable yep. as they're feeding the new cable in behind it. I gotcha. Does that yeah, sound that, right? Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't pretend to know anything about that huge strip mining stuff either, but you know, I've, like I said, I've never seen it before. Yeah. So we'll, we'll need to get you in one of the big ones. One I these. would love to do that. Yeah. I'd love to get in the seat, but I don't know if that'll happen. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. We'll have to get you down to, to the white, white rock. Mm-hmm. I think they run an 8,200. Oh, nice. In aggregate. Oh, nice. I used to know a guy that used to put those together, those walking drag lines. That's a chore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim Brennan was his name Mm. and he worked for Marion and he worked for Marion for probably 40 years and he traveled all over the world putting those things together. And he was absolutely the most brilliant human being I've ever met in my life. Mm. He knew what every wire, every circuit, every connection, every, everything on a walking drag line did. And there's a lot of components. Oh, yeah. Especially on one of those. Yeah. You know, a friction machine like I run is relatively simple. Yeah. But a walking drag line is a whole other animal. No, the, 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 the house, it's like a Costco. Yeah. It's like a warehouse. You walk in, you walk into the back behind the, the operator station. Mm-hmm. It, it is pretty comfortable. Like, you yeah. could throw a football to somebody. Oh, yeah. Inside of the machine. Yeah. And not like just toss it. You could throw a football to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. The, my only experience with being in one of those is last summer I went out to see Big Brutus, oh. the big stripping shovel out there in Kansas. Oh, and yeah. And that is a hell of a place to go yeah. if you're ever out there. 
have heard that's that's a, a really yeah that's a treat yeah it's something i mean it's got a 90 yard bucket on it but it's a shovel you know and there's no guts in it i mean all the motors are out of it mm-hmm. now but still i mean it's it's like a cathedral in there it's cool they saved it yeah yeah and yeah. and they it was it was close i know they kind of had to fight to be able to save it yeah but it's in good hands now and when I was out there, uh, they were just get, getting ready to paint it again. Mm. So, you know, they take care of her. And there's some other stuff there now. There's a 1920 page drag line there and a homemade stripping shovel. That's really interesting to see. You try to put in an offer on it? Yeah. <laughs> no. No, um, not, not not that one. I'll, I'll take this off your guys' hands. Uh, five 5,000 ton. That's... <laughs> That's a little hard to move. Just a few <laughs> truckloads for that. 5,000 tons. I think that's what that thing weighs. Oh. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Wow. It's big. It's big. I mean, each set of tracks is taller than I am. So There's a lot of sets of tracks. Yeah, there's eight of them. Whoa. Yeah, two on each corner. Yeah. And there's an elevator. It, it's not functional now, but there's an elevator that actually goes up through the center pin on those. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, I uh, I really appreciate you stopping by today. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, are you on social media at all? I am. I am. I'm on uh, Instagram at Old School George. Oh, I'm connecting the dots now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's see, me. No shit. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, see, I'm way out of touch in the old. Yeah. Equipment world. That's all right. So old school George is you. Yep. That's me. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay, great. So that's how people follow along your adventures. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, George, I hope um I really hope to see you at a equipment show one of these days. Oh yeah. Hopefully this year. I really want to make make Yeah. I know the summer is Yeah. Absolutely. And you know, if you're ever in New England, come on up. I'll show you my collection. Yeah, yeah. 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 I would really like that. I know Eric had a good time up there. Yeah, he was it was he was just up there last week. Yeah. There's a lot, and there's always something new to see. So, All right, cool. Well, yeah. yeah, we'll put that on the list and make it up there one of these days. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, I appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me.